Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast, brought to you by Canon Plus. This week's episode is a sermon from Jared Longshore entitled, Divinely Justified Conquerors. Listen to more sermons from Jared Longshore, Doug Wilson, Toby Sumter, and more on the Christ Church page in Canon Plus. Our sermon text this morning is Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. These are the words of God. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would use it now to strengthen our faith, to turn us from sin, to increase our courage. We ask all of this so that you might be glorified in us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. The aim of this sermon is to remind you that absolutely no one can condemn you. Absolutely no one. And the message of no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus has a purpose. Now, the purpose is not merely to make you feel happy, although happy it should make you feel. The purpose is to so increase your joy and increase your confidence that you would be bolstered in your conquering. You are Christians, and so you are more than conquerors. But there are many be they heavenly beings or human beings, who don't like your conquering one bit. They do not like your dominion project. They want to shut your dominion project down. And the means that they use to cause you to cease and desist from all of your fruitfulness and all of your dominion is to condemn you. Whether they bring that condemnation right up front and try to bury you under it, or whether they would try to sprinkle some condemnation upon you to cause you to hesitate, this is their method to cause you to stop your conquering. Now, we are a church experiencing remarkable growth, and the impact of our conquering is palpable. Thus, it should surprise no one that the accusations and the condemnation attempts regularly fly. Some of you may be quite accustomed to such attempts, and others of you might be experiencing heavy doses of them for the first time. In either case, you need this message coursing through your veins. God himself has justified you all. 
and therefore no one can condemn you. If you get that down deep into your bones, you are going to be quite the warrior. Let's consider a survey of the text. Paul begins with a, what shall we say to these things? And the things that the Apostle Paul is speaking of are the things that he just addressed a few verses prior to where we picked up, which include God working everything, all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And also that God leaves none of his people behind. Those who he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. There is not a single soul that God leaves out of that glorious golden chain of redemption. And the Apostle Paul steps back from those glorious realities and says, what in the world are we to say to these things? The answer to Paul's question is, of course, we can say absolutely nothing to these things. These realities are far too glorious for words. So rather than answer, Paul goes on to ask another question. Verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? And of course, the answer to that question is no one. But Paul doesn't answer this question. He's too excited to answer the question. In fact, he follows up that question with two more questions, giving us a total of four questions with no answers. Now, some of you are test takers out there. And you're worried that on Friday there's going to be a test and you want to know the answers to the four questions. So just for you, here they are. What shall we say to these things? Nothing. Well, who can be against us? No one. If God has given us his only son, what's going to stop him from giving us everything? Nothing is going to stop him. From giving us everything. Well, who shall lay any charge against us? If you haven't caught on yet, the answer is no one. These things are so because of verse 37. It says, it is God that justifieth. The language of justification is the language of the courtroom, and God is the judge. God sits on the bench. God holds the gavel. Justification is an act of God in which he pardons all of our sins and accounts us righteous in his sight. And he doesn't do this because of anything that is within us. He doesn't doesn't declare us to be as we ought to be, even because of something that he has worked in us. Rather, he sits there, on the bench of that courtroom, and there we are in our sin. There we are in our rebellion, in our unrighteousness. And in walks the Lord Jesus Christ in His perfection, perfectly fulfilling the law of God in His life on earth, perfectly suffering the judgment that we deserve by His death on the cross. And God the judge looks at His Son, and He looks at us, and He says, Christ's life for this one. Christ's righteousness credited to your account, and he brings the gavel down and says, you are just for Christ's sake. To underscore all of these things, the Apostle Paul goes on to tell us of Christ in verse 34. Christ died. Christ rose again. Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father. Christ intercedes for glorious truths. 
three of which he has already done, died, risen again, ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he continues in his session at the right hand of the Father, doing that fourth work, interceding for us, even now as the great high priest, because he is there interceding for us in this very moment, we are forgiven. No one can cast us away from the love of God. And in all of this, the apostle is putting the emphasis upon the God-man who accomplishes these things. Given who Christ is and what he does, Paul asks in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And here are the contenders. Tribulation, that is general trouble. No. Now you will have tribulation, but God has so welded you to the love of Christ that whatever trouble comes your way cannot break you off from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Distress? How about a good panic attack? Can that break you off from the love of God? No. They might rattle your nerves, but they don't make Christ one bit nervous. Persecution? No. Lack of food? Lack of clothes? No and no. How about perilous circumstances and war? Can they separate us from the love of Christ? No. We indeed will go through such things, and so did the saints who have gone before us. That's why we have Psalm 44 quoted by the Apostle Paul, showing that our sufferings are not new. And we just sang that lovely psalm together. You've counted us as slaughtered sheep, the saints going through trial and tribulation. And yet, we are not debilitated by these trials. Rather, even through these trials, we are more than conquerors. That's verse 37. No creature, whatever, can separate us from the love of God, be they angelic or political, be they here and now or coming next week, be they up or down, right or left, in whatever direction, they will all fall short of cutting God's people off from his love in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the passage before us tells us that there is no one to condemn us, but that does not mean that there will be any shortage of those who try to condemn us. And these attempts come in various forms, and they come from many directions. There is the standard condemnation attempt that comes from the unbelieving. And while we have not seen large portions of such condemnation in the United States of America, this kind of condemnation is certainly on the rise now. And we have the special privilege of having a good bit of it here in Moscow. We are not caught off guard by any of this, for Christ has said, If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Matthew chapter 10, verse 25. You know, I'm often asked by people outside of this community, what in the world are you all doing in Moscow to make people so upset with you? You know how you ought to respond when somebody asks you that? Well, we're simply being members of the household of God. That's what Matthew says. That's what Christ said. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? It is then with 
great joy that I was walking down Main Street here in Moscow recently, and I looked up at a second-story apartment window, and there was a big piece of cardboard that someone had turned into a sign on which they wrote, Kirkers are fake Christians. And I smiled, and I thought to myself, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. I heard the heavenly bank account go ka-ching. This has happened at other times. There's one of the staff members of Christ Church came up the stairs in the middle of the day and said, you're not going to believe it. A young lady just walked by and spat upon the front door of Christ Church offices. And there's a camera out there, so we got to watch it. And she indeed, indeed uh, spit on our offices. And I told my children, you know, kids, this happened. And I let them watch it. I said, do you know what they did to our Savior when he was hanging on the cross? They spat upon him. And now people continue to spit upon his body. Spitting upon the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if you know that there is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus, then you don't flinch when people attempt to do it. You know it's a lost cause. You know who shall the Lord's elect condemn. No one. And so you can have pity upon those who are attempting to do so. You can pray for those who are attempting to shame you, for you know that they simply cannot do it. Another kind of condemnation attempt involves Christians doing it to each other. And this is terrible, isn't it? And yet we often get caught up in it. And when we do, we try to sanctify it. There we are casting condemnation upon another brother or sister in Christ, and we say something like this, faithful are the wounds of a friend, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. Well, indeed, that is Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6, and indeed, the wounds of a friend are faithful, but why does it seem that you are delivering those wounds in a courtroom? Why do you sound like a prosecutor? Why are you aiming at a guilty verdict? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And notice you're to restore him without any flair or any sense of your own self-importance. That's what meekness is. And even more to the point, you are not a prosecuting attorney. You're a repairman. You are to restore the one who is caught in sin, so that he can once again function well. So by all means, take the word of God, and and we correct each other constantly, but ensure that you're doing your correction outside of the courtroom, because God has already declared that one, as he ought to be in Christ. As we repent of accusing the brethren, let us repent also of the low-boil condemnation. You know, the... the, um, the simmering condemnation soup that we leave on the back burner. You see, many Christians have left off the flaming hot condemnation, the kind that we level against each other when we're drooling. We know that that is bad and everybody can see it. And so we opt for subtle condemnation by a thousand paper cuts. 
And this is especially a temptation when others around us are doing great work for the Lord. And there is remarkable work for the Lord going on here at Christ Church, and so this temptation very well may be at the door. You see, it's like one of the Israelites sitting around after David slew Goliath, saying, you know, I don't know why he had to use five stones. And then another says, you know, I I think I sensed a hint of pride in David when he said that he was going to feed Goliath's flesh to the birds of the air. If you find yourself doing that kind of thing or others you love are doing it, just ask this question. Is the brother that you're talking about still in the courtroom? Because the answer is, he's not. So don't treat him as if he is. We not only fall to accusing other saints, but then we turn to laying charges against ourselves. But if there is no one to condemn you, then that includes you. You cannot condemn yourselves. And you may think that what I'm about to say is steering in the wrong direction, but it's not. If you are condemning yourself, if you're just really getting down on yourself, then you need to know this, what you're doing is not humble. It's not a sign of humility. And some of you who get caught up in this kind of thing are now like, oh no, I'm prideful too. I'm the worst. I'm just the absolute worst. Well, look, you might be the worst. I don't know. You might be a C. You might be a D minus. The point is this, you don't hold the gavel. So stop pretending that you do. Humble yourself. Agree with God. God has given you His Son. He has given you the righteousness of His Son counted to your bank account. And if God Himself has declared you just, then who are you to say something different? So to say that we are justified is certainly fine. We use that kind of language. We are the justified people. But it doesn't say quite enough. What must be said is that God justifies. And someone comes along and says, I would like to appeal the decision. Well, tough. And they say, oh, well, you don't understand. I'm asking nicely. I would like to reconsider this matter again at a higher court. Well, you're just going to have to settle for going to fly a kite. It's a nice windy day outside. There's an open field. But what you don't have is a higher court to which you might appeal. Being justified, we not only conquer, we do more than conquer. That's the apostle's language here in Romans 8. And what he means is our conquering is extensive. We conquer in every direction, which means that the things that need to be conquered are also extensive. And that can be a bit intimidating. But you are to conquer, not to cower. There are hard things in the fallen world. There are hills to climb, walls to scale, dragons to slay. And you must not be intimidated by the size of those walls or the dragon's fire. And it really is an all-or-nothing deal. You will be conquering in every direction, or you will be being conquered in every direction. And if you give in to anxiety, you will find all sorts of things to be anxious about. The fretful person says, I'm nervous about what's going on inside of me. 
I'm nervous about what's going on inside of my spouse. I'm worried about the children's future. I'm scared about what's happening in our nation. I'm scared about what's happening in Ukraine. I'm all stressed out about what's going on at work, and I'm stressed out about my vacation plans. It's like an upside-down Kuyperianism. All of stress for all of life. The solution is not found in pretending that you only have a few enemies. The solution is found in taking up the sword as the conqueror that you are and slaying your enemies. The solution is found in seeing what Elisha saw so that he could say, don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the chief enemy to be conquered is your sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. You all are under grace. That is, you all are under the undeserved favor of God, the smile of God, the blessing of God. God rejoices over you with loud singing. And because of that, sin shall have no dominion over you. So as a recipient of God's undeserved favor, you don't have to worry that sin is going to rule you. You rather are to rule it. You are to kill it. And we do this by simple confession, basic, fundamental, routine confession. You see pride in yourself? Confess it. You see covetousness? Confess it. You've fallen into sexual sin? Confess it. You see sinful anger? Confess it. You do not have to hide from it. You don't have to pretend that it doesn't exist. You don't have to run from it. The whole world has to do that because they're under law and not under grace. But you simply humbly, plainly, without excuse, and without wallowing in it, confess your sin and it dies. It dies. It's vanquished. We do this corporately every Sunday, kneeling together as God's people, confessing our sin. And as we do, God uproots our sin and he throws it into the fire. It's vanquished. We do this sin-conquering work not only as individuals, but we also do it in our families. From the very beginning, we were told to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, and to have dominion. It's necessary to accomplish that dominion mandate to exercise dominion in our homes. And so fathers, there's not a single one of us here who has reached glorified fatherhood. None of us are yet where we ought to be, and seeing we are all in the same sanctification boat, we might as well get on rowing. So keep an eye on the ethos of your family. Is there bitterness? Is there slander? Do you see apathy cropping up in the children? Laziness? Where is the growth needed? And what are the challenges on the horizon for your family? Identify these things and then shepherd your family. Speak truth like a prophet. Intercede for them like a priest. Protect and guard them like a king. You are more than a conqueror through Christ. Wives and mothers, you also are more than conquerors in your family. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 17 says, The woman who fears the Lord girdeth her loins with strength and strengthens 
her arms. For all of the lies from secular America about the independent, strong woman, they know absolutely nothing about true womanly strength. That belongs to the saints. That belongs to the women who fear the Lord. That is yours in Christ Jesus. This woman is not afraid of snow. She's not afraid of the future. She does her husband good, and he has no lack of gain because of her diligent work. That indeed is a struggle as you live out godly, God-fearing womanhood in the home. And the word is, that struggle that you feel is not an abnormality. That is simply the work of conquering. And so be strong. You are more than a conqueror in your home. Children, you too are more than conquerors in your family. You're not left out of this. You are arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior, which means you are arrows flying into battle to conquer. So consider your familial relationships and your obligations. How are your siblings doing? Does one of your siblings do something that gets on your nerves? Well, your job is to figure out whether he is sinning or not. If he's sinning, then pray for him that his sin would die. And if he's not sinning, then pray for yourself that you would love your brother more than you do. Either way, you will be conquering in the family. And we conquer as a Christian community. One of the hallmarks of Christ Church is that we grasp what's going on in the Lord's Prayer when we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As long as a Christian community merely thinks and prays, your kingdom come in my mind, your kingdom come in my heart, your kingdom come in my imagination, then they're not going to ruffle the feathers of the lost and unbelieving world. But as soon as you grasp the Lord's Prayer and you really begin to conquer as a community of Christians, praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then you're going to ruffle the feathers. When you're raising up a generation of children that know the lies of the enemy and know how to tear down strongholds, then people will start to pay attention. And this community is known throughout the evangelical world for being a community that together is exercising dominion. And the encouragement is, step back and look in God's kind providence where he has placed you. This is remarkable. The front lines, there are saints all over who would love to be here, who are eager to be here and for various reasons can't get here. It's a great responsibility. It's a glorious moment. And so grow not weary in doing good. Press on in faith. Press on in obedience. This conquering work is hard. And it simply cannot be done apart from God's appointed means. And he tells us how to conquer in verse 37. He says, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Through him that loved us. The love of God is the deep fountain from which you draw strength to press on in the work of dominion. Perhaps you're very tired this morning. You just sinned in front of your family and you know it. Some kind of relationship is bent and out of place. You're just not in a good mood, whatever it is. The love of God is the deep, infinite well from which you draw strength to press on in the work of dominion. And the Apostle Paul knew this. That's why in the book of Ephesians, 
He prays for the Ephesians that they would have strength to comprehend the height and the depth and the length of the love of God, of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the principle is that that love is infinite and we are finite, which means we cannot comprehend how much God loves us. I say this to my children sometimes. Do you know how much I love you? And they know their response is, no, I don't. I say, you're exactly right. You don't know. We have not yet grasped the fullness of God's love for us, and we will never grasp it because it is infinite. And yet, by His kindness, He allows us to grasp more and more of it, to taste more and more of it. And as we do, we're strengthened in our work of dominion. And that's why we sing, O love, how deep, how broad, how high, beyond all thought and fantasy, that God, the Son of God, should take our mortal form for mortal's sake. You cannot comprehend how glorious that song is that God sings over you. But by his grace, apprehend more and more of it. And as you do, you will conquer. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says that by Christ, all things consist. Christ holds all things together. And your justification is one of those things that Christ holds together. This truth will set you free from worry and obsessive navel-gazing. Far too many Christians walk around each day thinking that they hold their justification together. At the end of the day, it's something that is somehow in their hands. When the truth is that your justification has been accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ and the whole thing lies in His hands. The very structure of verse 35 is designed to turn your eyes upon Jesus. The sentence reads, It is Christ. It is Christ. Someone tries to condemn you, It is Christ. You go about your work of conquering and dominion and you grow weary. It is Christ. It is Christ, the dying one. Christ, the rising one. Christ, the one who sits now at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us. So do not leave him out of your thoughts. We need to remember what Patrick of Ireland has taught us. Christ within me. Christ above me, Christ below me, Christ beside me, Christ before me, Christ behind me. It is Christ, the chiefest of God's gifts. Remember Paul's logic. He says, if he is spared not his own son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? All things are comprehensive. All things are glorious, but all things are not as precious as the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who has been given to us. If they were, then Paul's logic falls apart. His whole argument falls apart. He has already given us the chiefest gift, his son. And his son is the end of the matter. He settles all contentions and fears. There would be a squabble, but Christ puts a stop to it. There would be charges, but Christ puts a stop to it. And you say, well, what if I want to trouble myself with doubts? Your doubts are no good here. It is Christ. You may have doubts. Christ has none. You may have fears. Christ has none. You are not the one keeping yourself together. It is Christ. And this Christ is no mere idea. This Christ is a man. This Christ is the present one. He is the virgin-born Christ. He is the suffering Christ. He is the resurrected Christ. He is the living Christ, the fish-eating Christ. 
the Christ upon whom we will soon feed. This Christ is here. He is the Christ in whom you all are. And he is the Christ in whom is the love of God. And so I ask you, what could ever separate you from the love of Christ? Our Father in heaven, we give you praise for you are our great God and we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the work of dominion. Please strengthen us in that work by your almighty love. As we pray, we lift up the prayer to you that you've taught us to pray, saying, 1 Corinthians 11 gives the clearest teaching in Scripture on how the Lord's Supper is to be observed. There, Paul tunes up the Corinthian church as their partaking of the supper had gotten quite off-key. Given that humans do human things wherever they go, his warnings to the church at Corinth are a warning also to saints in northern Idaho in the year of our Lord 2022. What at first glance might look like Paul being too worked up about how the Corinthian potluck line was run is, after closer inspection, a deadly spiritual error. Apparently, some Corinthian Christians were gorging and guzzling all the food and wine long before everyone else had been served. 1 Corinthians 11, 20-22. This disregard for others revealed a clear misunderstanding of what Christ had instituted with his words, This is my body. Believers eating and drinking at this table is a declarative act which shows the Lord's death, verse 26, meaning that our eating and drinking says something, and so our manner in which we eat and drink should comport with Christ's death. The Corinthians eating and drinking unworthily had turned this into a meal of damnation, verse 29. They were afflicted with sickness and death, tokens of living under God's curse rather than his covenant blessings. Verse 30. Paul's command to examine ourselves in verse 28 should be taken in coordination with his concluding command. He sums up his teaching here on the supper by instructing them to tarry for one another. Don't rush forward to gobble it all up with no regard for the body. Instead, tarry. Wait. Paul's point here is this, our eating is declarative, thus what we declare should be reflected in our manner of declaring. So we eat together as one body because Christ has knit us together by making us his body. And so come in faith and welcome to Jesus Christ. Let's give thanks. Father, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for how you knit us together with Christ by your spirit that you make us individual members into one body with Christ as our head. We thank you for this bread. We thank you for this wine, which are tokens and assurances of our union with Christ. We give thanks for this all in Jesus' name, and amen. Here's the charge. You do not have to work yourself up to be a conqueror. A conqueror is what you already are. God has done this for you, and he's done this for you through his great love for you in Christ. So trust God and fight the battle that is right in front of you, not the one that is far off on the horizon, not the one that you are imagining might come upon you in the future. Exercise dominion in the here and now, and do it all by faith. Fear not the fight. Whatever you face on the battlefield cannot separate you from the love of Christ. Receive this benediction. 
Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Listen to more sermons from Jared Longshore, Doug Wilson, Toby Sumter, and more on the Christ Church page in Canon Plus. Just click the link in the show notes and start listening today.